Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton. Now, my guests this week are Nadia Simmons and Lara Rogers, and together they founded Loon and Wild. Now, Loon Wild is an interesting business that focuses on producing, marketing, and distributing healthy food for babies and children. Now, they have a brilliant and growing direct consumer business through their website. Do check it out at loonandwild.co.uk. In this episode, we discuss Nadia and Lara's backgrounds, what drew them to the world of food, and what it's like innovating in the baby food category. Uh, Nadia and Lara are also looking to raise money for expansion, so we talk a little bit about that too. Now, this is a really interesting business. I hope you enjoy this episode, and do get in touch if you'd like to hear more about their business and the fundraise at whyinvestatwaverton.co.uk. This is the Why Invest podcast. Lara Rogers, Nadia Simmons, welcome to the podcast. Now, we're going to start with backgrounds. Lara, let's start with you. Where did you grow up? Where do you study? And how do you start your career? So I grew up in Somerset. My family actually moved there when I was nine years old and decided to start running a bed and breakfast, um, which was very much a family-run business. I think from the age of 10, I was cooking the breakfast for guests um, for school. That I suppose started my love of cooking and um, the way that I could bring people together and and see how people were delighted by what they were getting, I suppose. So when it came to deciding what to do at university, I was actually quite stubborn in deciding that I didn't want to go at all. And uh, instead looked at different options in food and found Ballyneal Cuckoo School in Ireland. It was the most fantastic place to learn and to start a career in food. As soon as I arrived, it confirmed that food is so important. It is so fundamental to uh, our health and our happiness and that Alan's approach of really teaching us from soil, the earth upwards, was just such a fantastic philosophy to really start to understand how food works, I suppose, and what's really important. So from there, I went to work to the Ritz and held more formal training and then have worked in several different restaurants, uh, from private catering, weddings, run my own events. And my most recent position was just before lockdown, I was working at uh, the Newt in Somerset, which was also a really fantastic farm-to-fork concept mm-hmm. restaurant, which um, yeah, which was brilliant. But it was in, um, in lockdown. As all chefs, found myself without any work and had lots of time to think. And that is when... The ideas for the I see. Well, I know and love the newt. It's it's just down the road from us in Somerset, and also very pleased to hear you went to Malou because <laughs> we had Thomasina Myers on a few episodes ago, yeah. and she speaks very highly of it. And Nadia, same question: Where do you grow up? Where do you study? How do you start your career? Yes, yeah, so I'm actually Lara's cousin, and I grew up in Somerset as well. I went to business school, and when I left business school, I like many twenty somethings. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my career, um, but I'd heard good things about the L'Oreal Management Training Program and decided to take a career in FMGC. And that was just a really fantastic training ground to learn how to build a brand, learn how to manage a P&L, how to work with big customers. And they just invest very heavily in uh, young graduates. So that was just a wonderful place to grow and learn. I Worked my way up there. I worked for other beauty companies as well. I did a stint at All Green Sweets Alliance as well. So I ended up working for my biggest customer. Before deciding to make a complete career change about five years ago, I was learning and researching how 
there's so much that we can do to improve our sustainability. About uh, five years ago, then, I decided to have a career change and I was becoming very interested in our food systems and how broken they are. And I thought, I spend 10 hours a day at work. Why not do that with the company that is having real impact? And so I decided to move to a company that's called Ecotone. Mm -hmm. They are a B Corp um, and own a lot of different brands you'd recognize in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. And they have a real focus on promoting soil biodiversity. Also um, important to Ballymaloo. Mm -hmm. There's a similarity there, yeah. Exactly. So I joined there, I spent a couple of years there, but then paused my career to have my daughter Eve in 2019. And it was when I was came to really Eve that I was searching for convenience. Like many parents, I was feeling quite time poor and tired, not getting enough sleep, and really wanted to find some convenient yet nutritious options to feed my daughter. And I was walking up and down the supermarket aisles and feeling really uninspired by brands I could see there. They just didn't speak to me as parents. They were very childish in their brand image, the nutritional content of the food I didn't trust either. And the taste of it wasn't something that I would want to sit and eat with Eve either. So that was really where I recognized there was this need for something much, much better. And Lara was on furlough at the time from the Newts and she had this idea for Loon Wild and was creating these delicious cubes of food and would pop over to my house and drop them off to me and just absolutely saved me, made life so much easier. And that's where I thought we can do something quite special with this. So that brings us neatly on to Loon and Wild. Let's introduce it. And um, what's the value proposition? So our mission is to help parents raise curious and competent children, helping nurture and love healthy food that could last. What we do is we make hand-prepared meals from first taste of the weaning right through to preschool years in a really convenient frozen format that could be ready under five minutes. Not only is it convenient, but it is incredibly delicious as well. We really hope to inspire, surprise and delight our customers with delicious tasting food that they just don't expect from a baby or a children's food business. And crucially, it's incredibly nutritious as well. So Lara works at length with our team of pediatric dietitians to create food that is optimised at every stage of child's development. And it's hugely varied as well. Lara uses an enormous amount of different ingredients in her recipes, organic, sustainably sourced. So it's guilt-free convenience. That's what we aim to provide. And so what is the competition? Let's try and define yourself by identifying the other. What does the competition look like? You don't need to name names. What are the options to parents? supermarket offering is predominantly ambient purchase, which in most cases can be older than your child that you're feeding because they have a shelf life of up to two years. I think that can be a little bit of putting for parents. And we thought this is the first introduction for food for a child. That should be a really, really exciting opportunity. For them to be eating something that doesn't taste particularly good, doesn't resemble food in the way that we know it, and it's possibly quite mold. How is that sort of the best start that we could give children? So it felt as though creating something that was really fresh, that we could last freeze, make sure it's in a really convenient format. But yeah, there was just a lot to improve on. Often the packaging isn't widely recyclable either. And that was a real tension point that we found when we were researching and speaking to prospective customers. Was that they didn't like the amount of waste they were in the baby category. So we felt there was a real opportunity to come up with 
a packaging format that was recyclable or pain compostable and took away that pain point for customers. And how do you see yourself within the category? Do you see yourself as as innovators? Are you innovating within the sort of baby food category? Or do you see yourself as something quite separate that brings together organic food, organic baby food, and different elements of sustainability? I think what we've tried to create is something that is actually quite recognisable by parents. So starting with our baby range, the format is something that parents might be doing at home freezing in ice cube trays and keep Mm. them in the freezer. So it's familiar, yet what we try to offer is something to step beyond what perhaps could be done at home. So for lack of time, maybe you're making two to three recipes on repeat, filling up the freezer, whereas we can offer eight different recipes in one compact space in your sort of small freezer, especially in a city where freezer space is always quite tight. And yeah, I think that sustainability is something that we have really tried to stride ahead of. And why is that important? I think that when people become parents, there is a lot of guilt that comes with the amount of waste that is associated with having babies. So everything from nappies, probably wipes, and even just the plastic toys. And we were interviewing uh, prospective customers early on, and we kept hearing this word guilt come up, whether that's guilt that they're not doing well enough or you know, guilt they're not doing everything themselves and they're buying pouches. So we really wanted to try and alleviate some of that pressure, that guilt, and um, do that in a way that they can outsource that food without having to feel bad about it. But also just because at the end of the day, we want to help protect the planet in any way that we can. Um, we're creating food for young children. We want to ensure that they have the best chance at a bright future. So in doing so, packaging, the way that we transport our food with a zero emission Delivery service, all of these factors are um, is so crucial to what we do and definitely something that we will always build into our brand and our decisions. I think one way that's quite disruptive for the category as well is through the quality for food and the taste that Lara is able to create with a variety of ingredients that she uses. So baby and children's food has a reputation for being quite bland and boring and beige and often quite high in sugar as well. Wow. And what Lara does is she makes food that's utterly delicious without all the salt and Mm -hmm. preservatives or added sugar. And that is quite different because I can't think of any other brands in our space that get reviews like, my baby eats better than I do. It's so delicious. When do you start making food for grown-ups? Well, it's obviously brilliant feedback. I wonder if you can discuss some of the recipes and and what they look like. And I would recommend any of our listeners to go to your website, of course, at loonandwild.co.uk. But I wonder if you can just explain, you know, and introduce some of the recipes. Absolutely. I'd say that when I was first starting to write the recipes, first I got in touch with a number of pediatric dietitians and one that we actually partnered with quite early on and helped you with the formation of them. But how it would work is that I would create a recipe based on something I think is going to be delicious, trying to include as many organic fresh ingredients as possible. So we often have up to 15 different ingredients in one meal. And that meal is going to be something like a spinach and kale satay or uh, a beetroot and potato dal. We've got carrot tagine. It was really important to try and introduce a wide variety, not only of ingredients, but also where the inspiration of those dishes is coming from. That I suppose better reflects the way that we choose to eat as adults. And so presumably there's a premium attached to this in numbers or percentage terms. How, how much more expensive is it to feed your children through Lean and Wild rather than the sort of supermarket options? 
not that much more when you consider the amount of value that you get with our offering. So our baby meals start at £2.25 per serving and in the markets you could expect £1.80 for a serving with the market leader. So what you get for that is obviously much fresher, more delicious flavours, more nutritious, expertly balanced and delivered to your home. And I wonder if you can talk more about the model because you kindly sent me your investment deck. And um, at the moment, the business is D2C. So through your website, everything's e-commerce. Question one, why did you want to go for that route first? So question two, do you continue to see growth in that channel or do you want to be in supermarkets? Do you want to sort of distribute through retail? The direct-to-consumer model was particularly interesting to us uh, for a number of reasons. We could see that it was gaining huge traction here in the UK, obviously within the likes of Michael Chef, Bustow, HelloFresh, all plants doing really well and successfully raising a lot of money, gaining traction and existing successfully as well. But no one was doing it really well within the baby and children's sector of the market. So it was a really big opportunity that we could see there. Also, we could see the model gaining huge traction over in the States with baby and uh, toddler food businesses. There's a number of brands there that, again, have raised more sums of money and excellent successfully. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like a really obvious opportunity and there wasn't an enormous amount of competition in the space. Why is that? Why not? I mean, to me, it seems like an everyone as a father of two children, probably a little now, a little bit too old for Lynn and Wild, but, you know, it does seem like a, an obvious gap in the market. Why do you think it hasn't been filled? Well, there are barriers to entry that exist. So we've spoken with founders of frozen food manufacturers that don't want to launch it within baby and children's because there are different regulatory requirements to meet. And that would mean changing the operations in their kitchens quite considerably in order to meet those. And that wouldn't be an investment worthwhile for the core of their businesses within adult food. So the big players out there aren't at the present looking to set up baby food businesses. But I think it's going to become an increasingly crowded space for sure. There's a market opportunity that exists today that might be around for the next year or two, but I'm sure it will crowd out. What is your sort of TAM, the total addressable market? What in your mind is the sort of size and scope of the market? So there's 6.1 million families in the UK with dependent children that are 12 and under. So that's the total size of the market in terms of number of households that we could potentially reach. Our goal is to get a 2% penetration into that market. I want to change tack and move away from the operations of the business and the day-to-day operations of the business and move to the the sort of financing of the business because I know that you're just about to start or you have started your long road to raise money and raise capital. I wonder the first question is what doors have you been knocking on so far? Is this a friend's family business? Is this an angel investor business? Are you tentatively knocking on doors of venture capital? Yeah, so we raised some uh, capital earlier in the year, which was a friends and family round. And we actually had a number of loyal customers who approached us and said, when we're looking to fundraise, do you let us know? So we had a number of customers actually invest in our first round. And we're lucky that a number of them want to invest again this round. So that's fantastic. In addition, we speak to our customers throughout the year. Of course, um, we're in touch with them. And uh, when we survey them, we always ask, would you be interested in investing in our business? So we have a wall list of needs that the customers who could be interested in investing. In terms of this round, we think we'll raise the majority of it through angels. So we are interested to speak with uh, angels who are particularly mm-hmm. investing in consumers. And what's the target? We're looking to raise half a million. And that would enable us to start really investing in 
acquisition, SMA acquisition for the first time. So to date, we've gained traction entirely organically through word of mouth. Recommendation is really powerful for the baby insurance sizes. 72% of all purchases in this market are done by recommendation. And we can really see that and when we interview our customers and ask them how they find our spatters. It's always a friend mentioned your brand or occasionally I found you on Instagram as well. Are you using Instagram as a channel? I mean, is that a lucrative channel? It definitely is. We don't do any paid social media at the moment. However, we did when we launched the brand, we'd sample a lot of influencers and they were very kind to pick up the brand and talk about us very generously. And that really I think very expensive influencers. I think because our product concept is so unique yeah. and just helps parents out so much. They're very willing to try it and talk about it. And I think that's something that's quite unique about Luna Wild is that parents love sharing brands in a way that they perhaps haven't wanted to with alternatives to Luna Wild. Coming back to what Lara mentioned earlier, that those feelings of guilt, parents would be feeding their children pouches, but they'd be doing it in the back of the car mm. or in the pram quietly. They wouldn't be proudly sharing it off to their friends and putting it, it on social media mm. in the same way. So customer acquisition, that's important. And, and I suppose that probably falls under sort of marketing or broader marketing effort. Where else would you allocate the capital in your business? And where, where are the sort of pinch points of your business at the moment? What's the hard part? Definitely the bulk of the investment is going on marketing. However, we do want to expand our team as well. We are resource types. Myself and Lara, we have a brilliant head of operations as well, who we hired earlier this year, and kitchen team. But we really do need marketing resource. So that's where we will be investing. And then also in terms of kitchen equipment as well. So we make all the food by hand. That's so important to maintain the quality of the food and that won't change. However, we can see there are areas of automation that we can bring in that massively increase our output and improve our quality. So we talked about this before recording. And um, am I right in saying that all your meals prepared in Acton? Yes, absolutely. And at what point can you scale in your current site in Acton? So we believe we can be in our current site for um, definitely until the end of next year, whether that's taking on more space within our current setting or looking for a new premises. Um, but we're very lucky that where we are, it's sort of a modular format, so you can very quickly open up in sort of probably two weeks another unit. Is site. it a dark kitchen or cloud kitchen? Yeah, no, it technically be a dark kitchen. A dark kitchen. I've heard about these because another friend of the podcast came on to discuss how Cricket used these dark kitchens to expand, uh, or cloud kitchens, he described them as, to expand or contract distribution mm -hmm. during the pandemic. You're able then to scale up in your current site. There's no need for sort of fixed asset investment within this half million. So we used our, our last round of investment for the move into our production unit and we Lansley chose a site that would give us room to grow. So we're probably using 40% of the capacity of our site currently. Um, there's lots we can do to be creative with the space that we've got. Uh, we also only have two full-time kitchen members at the moment. So there's definitely room to grow within it. And as you sort of look to the future, what's the sort of five-year goal for the business? Where do you, would you like to see the business in five years' time? Are you still um, you know, pursuing the D2C channel? Do you want to see yourself in supermarkets? So... We see the core of our business always remaining as direct to consumer because that's where we can have those direct relationships with our customers, innovate faster versus our competition in supermarkets and bring newness to market in a way that's really exciting and, and uh, better able to meet their needs. However, 
uh, we have already launched in some new channels and have some exciting trials going at the moment. So we launched with Put the Raising New Cartons back in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have launched a new format in nurseries as well. So we're able to now cater for children in care settings as well. And we also have a couple of restaurants that we provide for as well. So there are some new channels mm-hmm. that we're exploring that feel very scalable alongside direct consumer. It's a very exciting business in the sense that, you know, there is a clearly defined addressable market. You've clearly got very, very high quality products. And I suppose, as you say, the sort of pinch point is the marketing. It's getting that message out to more people as you sort of define your own brand. I wonder if there are any brands out there that you really respect and want to emulate, not necessarily in the food category, who perhaps you kind of feel that your ideals align with. The brand that came to mind that we were inspired by is uh, Dame. Especially learning about their early journey, how their offering, I believe, pivoted from uh, what was actually just distributing different search products to what they came to. So it made me think that it's more about building the concept of a strong brand and your identity and having the kind of ethos mm-hmm. that you're wanting to grow rather than the mm-hmm. specific product, because I'm sure that what we offer today may well evolve. Well, Dame, Celia Poole, friend of the podcast, when she came on the podcast, she was talking about uh, her application to B Corp, which I understand is one of your plans, probably, and it's a next year plan. How important is that B Corp certification? And is that something that you hold dear? And is that a non-negotiable for you? Absolutely. I think the way the process forces you to measure your impact in so many different ways is a great way to improve our processes. So it's less about getting the accreditation and more about the process mm. becoming a vehicle that we're interested to take ourselves on. And I'm going to turn to our final question, which I always ask everyone. That's the advice question. And I'll ask you both separately, Mara and Nadia. Um, what advice would you give to our younger listeners who are maybe working in a career that they're not really enjoying, want to do something entrepreneurial? What advice would you give them And what skills do they need to equip themselves with to strike out and do something entrepreneurial? I think it's always being eager to learn and not being afraid to ask for help. I've been so amazed at how warm and generous people have been with their knowledge. We've spoken to people in in running incredible businesses when we were just starting out. Uh, CEO 4 was one of them, actually. She she gave me some advice when, you know, while there's still sort of sketches in my notebook and... I think that there are so many people out there that will help you. Just not being too afraid to do it. And as imposter syndrome is a real thing mm-hmm. that people struggle with these days. And no one's really an expert mm-hmm. until you start. You can't pretend to be, you know, the expert of everything at the very beginning. It actually reminds me of my first sort of days at the Ritz wearing the uniform and just being so terrified that everyone's going to realize that I didn't know how to cook. And now I look back and I think if I had just realized, of course, I didn't know. I was just starting. I'm here to learn. I'm here to absorb everyone else. I probably would have come up with better cook at the time. Mm-hmm. So don't fear imposter syndrome and take advice, I suppose, that mm-hmm. could be summed up. And Nadia, how about you? Advice to our younger listeners? I'd say it's really hard work to find a brilliant business partner. <laughs> I share the load. But crucially, find someone that has different experience and different skills to your own. Know where your weaknesses lie 
and your skilled apps and find someone who perfectly complements them, but crucially shares all your values so that when you're facing difficult decisions, you come back to what's your purpose, what do you stand for, that's shared, then it's much easier to navigate the challenges that come up. Sage advice, Nadia Simmons, Lara Rogers, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton, and our guests this week, Nadia Simmons and Lara Rogers. If you've enjoyed this episode or indeed the series, why not like us, subscribe to us, and let your friends and colleagues know. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security.